Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. And I'm very excited about this next uh, in interview because, really, he's quite a remarkable man. His name is Dr. John Richard Saylor, and he is joining us. Why? Well, think about it. Minnesota is the land of 14,000 lakes. But what can we learn from lakes? I never thought about that question. Did you? Well, like us, he says, lakes are born, they live, and they die. From their often dramatic formations to their ultimate disappearances, lakes live extraordinary lives. John Richard Saylor, Ph.D., traces the natural history of these remarkable still waters in his new book, Lakes, Their Birth, Life, and Death. Dr. Saylor is a professor of mechanical engineering at Clemson University, and he has researched the phenomena that occur at the interface between air and water. He joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Welcome so much, Dr. Saylor. Uh, welcome to Steel Talking. Well, thanks so much for having me, Geraldine. How did it ever come to be that you found this interesting? Is this something, as a young boy, that you thought, hey, fascinating? No, not at all. Uh, it, it, as you probably imagine, a, a professor of mechanical engineering uh, doesn't no- normally do research on lakes. It's not really in our wheelhouse. Um, and, uh, but I happened to get involved in a project uh, studying uh, the evaporation of water from lake surfaces. And it, it was sort of a, a red herring kind of project. And uh, when it came time to to get this published, to you know, to write a paper summarizing our results, I found myself in the position of having to get uh, spun up on lakes, you know, at least so I knew the vocabulary and could write a paper on it. And probably like most of your readers, I, I thought lakes were great. You know, it's great to to vacation on them, swim in them, canoe in them, etc. Uh, but I didn't think they were you know fascinating or anything like that. I just thought they were pleasant places to be. Um, but in the process of Learning about lakes, I kept finding fascinating, wonderful things about them, mysterious mysterious things about them, and even things about them which are, are frankly quite dangerous. You know, you are a prolific writer, and I know that you have probably thought, my goodness, I did not see this for my life. <laughs> Most people <laughs> like you would say, I didn't see this for my life. Yet this is so fascinating to even me. I didn't know any of this. And as I've been researching and watching videos of you and trying to figure out, oh, all the questions I want to ask you, tell me what is most important about your research when it comes to lakes. So um, I, I think that the thing in, in the book that I, I think is most fascinating re- regarding lakes is a specific kind of lakes uh, called the Carolina Bays. Now, now these don't exist in Minnesota. They exist on the, on the East Coast, um, anywhere from southern New Jersey to northern Florida. And Carolina Bays are lakes that are perfectly elliptical and lakes that, uh, it, as ellipses, have their long axis all pointed in the same 
uh, in the same direction. And they're kind of fascinating because we still don't know exactly how they were formed, why they have this incredible elliptical shape. And it was, this was one of the things that really spurred me on to write the book. I, I remember the first, and I encourage your readers, to, your listeners, to do, to do what I'm about to tell you I did, which was to go to Google Maps and look at a certain part of North Carolina where there are a whole lot of these Carolina bays. So if, if your listeners were to enter Elizabethtown, North Carolina, it's just a small town that has a whole lot of these Carolina bays right, right near it. If you uh, enter that and go into the satellite view, you'll see what I saw, which is these endless series of, of these gorgeous ellipses. Uh, many of these are, in fact, green because the lakes were drained and have since uh, filled in with vegetation. Um, but, but there's just all these beautiful green ellipses everywhere, and, and I was just sort of you know, shocked by that, that I, I, I lived nearby there and didn't even know that they ever existed. Uh, and it's just one of the, the fascinating things that spurred me on to write the book. It is absolutely fascinating. I had a chance to watch your video and knowing that they're all pointing in the same direction as well. Same color, same shape, pointing in the same direction. I have so many questions when I get to heaven. Okay, so as we sit and listen to your brilliance, sir, really, I'm just thrilled that you exist on this planet. Um, I know that there are lakes we're really concerned about today, whether it's Salt Lake City in Utah, their great Salt Lake, Tahoe City, California, Lake Tahoe. Uh, Lake Michigan in Chicago, and of course, right here in our own backyard, Lake Superior in Duluth. When you look at those, what have you, what have you gleaned about their, um, their coming uh, death? Right. We know right. that they are, they exist. They are living currently, but is obviously a, a death is ahead of them. And how do you know when to write that or when to talk about that? So, I, I mean. The death of a lake is is normally something which takes a very long time. So thousands and thousands of of years is is the process by which a lake uh, will naturally um, be, become eliminated. And this occurs via a very simple process. It's just a simple fact that the flows into lakes carry sediment, and that sediment will settle out when when the flow slows down. And so bit by bit, millimeter by millimeter, lakes tend to, to silt in or fill up, and that's often the demise of a lake, but not something that's a, a, going to occur in our lifetime. But when humans get in the picture, then things can happen um, very rapidly. And you referred to several very large lakes um, just a moment ago, Lake Michigan and Lake Superior. And, you know, with, with our Great Lakes, we're, we're, you know, in the U.S., we're blessed with this enormous body of water, just, just uh, uh, one of the largest bodies of fresh water on planet Earth. And one could be tempted to think that that's, you know, effectively a, a limitless supply, but, but nothing could be, you know, further from the truth. I think something I, I really learned in the process of writing uh, this book is that as big as lakes can be, uh, our thirst for the water in them is 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 much larger, and and probably the best example of that would be um, the Aral Sea. The Aral Sea is actually a, a, a lake. It's located in the boundary between Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, and uh, it was once uh, one of the largest lakes on Earth. I think the fourth largest lake, perhaps by area. And in the 1960s, uh, the then Soviet Union began a, an irrigation project to get. 
uh, crops, f- fiber, and, and food crops growing on the on the shores of of the Aral Sea, and so it diverted significant quantities of the the river that well the rivers that fed that that sea, and the process was just devastating. the The sea uh, shrank to to I think one tenth of its original size. It's an incredible natural disaster, man made disaster that that occurred because. The, the 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 water line receded so far, hundreds of kilometers in some cases, that what was left behind was just desiccated earth. And uh, the Aral Sea is a saline lake, so the 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 lake bed that was left behind was a, a salty lake bed, so vegetation didn't grow on it very well. And any wind resulted in very large dust storms, which caused enormous health problems uh, with the surrounding population. Uh, exacerbated because those lake, the dry lake bed also had now precipitated herbicides and pesticides from the agricultural activities on the shore. So this just caused an incredible uh, natural disaster. And it was due, you know, simply to uh, diverting the flow into the, into the ROC uh, for, for, for irrigation. And we're seeing a similar thing happen. You mentioned Salt Lake City. This, that, that's happening with our Great Salt Lakes. Very similar things occurring. Uh, the population in that area is, of course, growing, and more water is is diverted to uh, to provide water resources for that thirsty population. And if you combine that with a reduction in snowmelt and, and stream flow, you get the same sort of thing. The shore of the of the lake subsides, and and you can have uh, once again um, severe dust storms and other other problems that that occur when when a, a lake dries up. So in your research, have you discovered that there are some lakes that die and have a rebirth? Well, certainly um, that, 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 that can occur. So, and, and there's good news with the RLC. I mean, the, the disaster is, is attention is being focused to it. Uh, there is great effort to uh, get flow from, from the rivers back to the sea. And, and so I, I am optimistic that that, that sea is, is going to one day return to its, its former self. Okay, so when we look at lakes from this specific uh, perspective, what do you want us to take with this? How do we protect our lakes? Why is it that we don't care enough to do more, or is it that we don't know what to do? I think it's just, uh, you know, once again, if you look at, at – at the Great Lakes, right? I mean, if if you've spent any time along them, uh, you know, even if you're you're not if you're just driving along their shore. I remember when I used to live in Minnesota, I took a uh, a visit to the North Shore, and I mean, it feels like you're driving forever uh, along this this incredibly large lake. And so I I think it's very tempting to think, well, you know, this is just a natural resource that we simply can't. Uh, we can't ever um, dry up, but the point of the matter is, is we can. And with the Great Lakes, uh, attempts have been done to do that, you know, to divert water from the Great Lakes via pipelines, to send them mm-hmm. any number of places to pro- mm-hmm. try to um, alleviate droughts in, in various areas. I think this this was proposed in, in places everywhere from New York City to, to Los Angeles. Um, and I think the thing to recognize is, is that sort of thing can can have profound damaging consequences. Now, I, th- I think that, you know, I'd like to look at good news, and, and some very good news uh, in, in North America is that our Great Lakes are now protected by a compact uh, between the United States and Canada. So um, there is now in law the requirement that any use of Great Lakes water 
can only occur uh, in counties that are within the watershed of the Great Lakes. And, and this is a great thing because it ensures that no matter how much water is withdrawn in those counties, that water ultimately will find its way back uh, to, to the lakes, effectively, uh, I won't say ensuring, but making it very, very unlikely that they will be desiccated in the way that has occurred in other lakes. We have with our um, rivers convergences, right, across the world, really. Um, I think there may be 10 to 15, you would know better. But when it comes to lakes, we don't have something like that necessarily. And I'm just wondering if we uh, keep building or, or offering these man-made lakes. We have quite a few of them here in the Twin Cities and, and the state of Minnesota, as you well know. Um, is that hurting or helping our lakes to have man-made well, lakes? Well, you know, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, so, so for the first thing to recognize is that human beings are really prolific lake builders. And uh, the, the, the um, archaeological records suggest that humans have been building dams, uh, making lakes since uh, literally since biblical times. Uh, as soon as human beings slowed down, settled down, and decided to start planting and staying in one place, it seems that not, not long after that we decided to build a dam to ensure we'd have water nearby. Um, uh, some of the, if you go to Spain, there are actually uh, working functional dams there that are holding water back that were built by the Romans in the first or second century uh, AD. So we do a lot of that. There's just an awful lot of, of, of human-made lakes out there. And, and there's, there's real pluses and minuses for that. So the real pluses are that uh, death due to flooding uh, in places where dams are built to control that is, is, is highly minimized, and that, that's a great thing. It also ensures uh, that we have water in times of drought, or at least mitigates any, uh, any problems caused by drought. But what, what, what can also happen, and what has happened in several large river systems, is that we've impounded so much water that the river actually never makes it to the sea. So uh, mm -hmm. the classic example of that would have to be um, the Colorado River. So we, we have so many uh, impoundments along that river, and we withdraw so much water uh, from it that the Colorado River, which once entered uh, the Gulf of California, you know, it's just a mighty torrent, now barely enters that with a trickle, if at all. And that process is happening in, in many other places, it happens certain times of the year at the Rio Grande. Uh, there's several rivers in, in Australia and other places where, where that happens. And so the, the real problem with that is, is the loss of a river ecosystem. So there are fish species and, and other organisms that require that white water. You know, they require that highly oxygenated water for, as part of their life cycle. And the stretches of rivers that have that are becoming shorter and shorter as we choose to impound, uh, impound more, more and more water. So how much carbon dioxide can a lake absorb, and for how long? Well, um, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I think when we talk about climate change, you know, carbon dioxide um, sequestration by lakes is probably uh, some, somewhat of a small smaller player when we compare, you know, when we compare to the, to the ocean, right? So the ocean is just, uh, you know, such a, a large surface area compared to the, uh, to the surface area of lakes. But, but it's not insignificant, and, and part of the reason for that is that we, there are a lot of very small lakes. So when we look at 
lake surface area, if you only count the, the larger lakes, which had, had been done for quite some time, you sort of underestimate the CO2 sequestration by lakes. But if you include the very small lakes, I mean, the things that are perhaps a hectare acre or smaller, that, that number, the surface area gets larger and, and the sequestration there can become more significant. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned carbon dioxide. There's an, an interesting thing I talk about in the book, which is that carbon dioxide, when it's, uh, it, it's emitted from the ground and, and dissolves into the, the, the bottom waters of a lake, it can cause a very a very dangerous phenomenon, which is called a limnic eruption. And this was this occurred at a lake called Lake Nios in Cameroon, Cameroon in, in 1986, where the carbon dioxide that was dissolved in the bottom of the lake um, came out of solution. All the bubbles, all the carbon dioxide came out as a gas all at once on the night of August 21st in 1986, and a massive amount of CO2 was released, as much as uh, I think a quarter of a cubic mile. And it rushed down the slopes and killed 1,746 people uh, in their sleep in the villages uh, villages below. Mm-hmm. This is just one example of how lakes are, they can be fascinating, they can be mysterious, but they also can be uh, dangerous, something perhaps that we don't think about. We have two minutes left, sir, and I'm just wondering about something you said, that beneath the surface of the many lakes that populate our planet lie wonderful secrets. Tell me, give me one example of a wonderful secret. I think one of the, the, the most interesting secrets is that uh, lakes exist in places you'd never imagine. So uh, the, the, one of the, the best examples of that are, are subglacial lakes. So there are lakes in Antarctica that uh, exist beneath two miles of ice. If you go down through two miles of ice, you'll hit a lake. Uh, there are lakes, hundreds of lakes there. Uh, one called Lake Vostok is about the size of Lake Ontario. It's, a, it's enormous. And the water in that lake has not seen the atmosphere in as many as 10 million years. Oh uh, so it's, it's water that was last exposed to air when, when dinosaurs were walking around, which I think is just a fascinating thing to think about. Well, you are fascinating, sir. It has been a pleasure having you join us, Dr. John Richard Saylor. Thank you so much. The name of the book is Lakes, Their Birth, Life, and Death. Run to get the book. I know I will be. Thank you again, sir, for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Geraldine. It's been a real pleasure. A real pleasure. Thank you, sir. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 